Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. What does your faith look like when the unexpected strikes? A health diagnosis, a sudden loss, a broken marriage, a financial disappointment. Faith is the confidence that God will act on our behalf. According to your faith, there can be healing for your body, mind, and soul, hope for your future, restoration of your identity, redemption of what was lost, provision when you're in need. Imagine what God could do according to your faith. Come on, if you believe God is good, why don't you give him a clap of praise today? Come on, he's worthy. Amen. Come on, let's give him a quick praise. About 10 seconds. Come on, if you're watching online, give him a good shout. Start our day with some joy. Thank you, Jesus. Who believes that God is for you today? Come on, I said, who believes God is for you today? Amen. Look at someone next to you and say, he's for you. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you're facing in your life. He's fully aware of it. And I am grateful that you're here today, week two of according to your faith. Uh, There's a word in there that's important. According to your faith. Look at someone next to you and say, according to your faith. It's according to your faith. And this whole series has been designed to get you thinking about what faith really is and what measure of faith do you possess in your life and how are you honoring that and cultivating that today last week pastor amy taught a beautiful intro and she talked about her journey through some of the difficulties our family have been through today in part two i really want to get into the details of a story about jesus encountering someone who needed faith in a way that we all do, but in a more obvious way than some of us may seem. And uh, we'll start, you know, with our text scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, that says this, while we look not at things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Anybody ever played a game like capture the flag at nighttime? Anyone ever played a game like that where you're, you're in the nighttime? We, we played a game one time with our youth group when I was the youth pastor way back in the day. That's why my dad you know, kicked me out of that job. I wasn't very good at it. But like we blacked out the gym uh, completely. And when I say blacked out, I mean like we went to great lengths to make sure there was not an ounce of light in there. Blacked out every single door, put garbage bags over everything and it was nice there's like 150 kids in there and we played capture the flag in pitch black so i would this is like is it 20 years ago i think it's 20 years ago and so we're playing for hours at nighttime at this lock-in and i hear this loud crash and uh you know two of our students actually one of it one of those one of them was a leader and another one was a student but it was uh, dave, dave caps 
who, who is one of my dear friends. And I hear this sound and all of a sudden, you know, Dave, his mouth is bleeding and stuff. They turn on the lights and, and you know, this, one of the girls has got a wound on top of her head and this guy's mouth is bleeding. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna go to jail. And so we go to the hospital or at the hospital and you know, Dave's tooth is like cut in half. So D- Dave's tooth is like chipped off in half. So I, I don't suggest this if you're like a young person wanting to be in ministry, don't plan that uh, event. It's just so bad. But anyways, and I'm sitting there with, with uh, Athena was the other person that was there. And we're in the, the emergency room with Athena and all of a sudden the doctor goes, wow, this is really weird. She's got this gap, this gash on her head. He goes, um, and, and all of a sudden I hear this click. He goes, for some reason you had a tooth in your head. He's like, yeah, he's like, so yeah, isn't that terrible? That's, that's a crazy story. So when you're in the dark and you don't know what's around you, it is a strange feeling to walk by faith and not by sight when you're in pitch black. Uh, I was in a hotel room several years ago. My family went to Savannah for a trip and I just fully thought I had memorized the uh, hotel layout in, in the nighttime. I got up in the middle of the night, I had to go to the bathroom and I'm walking like this and all of a sudden the corner hits me in the head and cuts my head wide open. I'm, I'm walking like this. You know, feeling, I, I just forgot where it was so I hit right here, a big gash in my head. So at, we're used to walking by sight. Faith is not walking by sight. Faith is walking by what you know and what you believe in your spirit. So when we're talking about according to your faith, I wonder if we've forgotten what faith actually is. Because sometimes faith becomes something else. Faith becomes something we think it's faith, but it's because something that we can identify and we can see a possible outcome. If God gets involved a little bit, I can see how this will work. That's not what faith is. Faith is not seeing, I, saying I can see a favorable outcome if all these things just come together. Faith is saying there's no way, it's not possible, but God. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, we walk by faith, not by sight. So I'm going to talk to you week two, according to your faith. Father, bless your word today. Lord, in Jesus name, bless the people that are watching online, that are in this room. Cause our hearts to be open to the truth of who you are, what your Holy Spirit has to say about the subject. Invigorate us, Lord, on what it means to know you and to trust you. And to put our hearts toward heaven in every area of our life to believe for the best possible outcome and to trust you with all the details. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Now that you've all judged me for letting kids run around in the dark, let's get on to the message. Has anyone, does anyone here like firework shows? Raise your hand if you like firework shows, like like big, beautiful things. I love things like that that are just big celebrations when, uh, and I think in 19, I think it was 27, like 1999, Uh, I was asked, I used to do, in case you don't know, I I used to do a ton of singing for big um, companies. So uh, American Airlines, the Dallas Stars hockey team for years. I don't even know if I've ever told you this, but in in Texas, when the Dallas Stars scored a goal from like 1991 to like 1999, when the goal would come on in the NHL stadium there in Texas, it would light up and it would go, it's a cold war. They had this thing called, it's a cold war, but that was my voice. It was like, it's a cold So every goal was scored. I was singing that. Uh, American Airlines, Texas Lottery, all these different things. Actually, Coors Light. I did a Coors Light ad, a national Coors Light ad. This is when I was like living in Dallas. I was 19 years old. But 
anyways, later on, when I was here, I was in ministry and stuff, but I got a call from Disney that they were putting together this thing called Tapestry of Nations. And they had this huge song that they wanted to do called Celebrate the Future Hand in Hand. It was like the, the crux of their entire millennium celebration. So uh, I got to sing the lead vocal on that song that was uh, played in the parks for almost 20 years, like during their celebrations. Anyone remember the fountains where the fountains went around? That was the song that played during that and played during the, the night celebration. They used to bring around all these different play, things from different countries. And just when we would go watch these fireworks at night, with the, the, it's on the water and the, the fireworks and the lights and the music and the celebration, you would look next to you, there's someone from a different country, a different place, a different than you. There's just something just powerful and like uniting about those moments where you're experiencing something big like that. It's beautiful, it's surreal. And I think that in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament with, with Jesus, and I think sometimes we forget that Jesus was Jewish. <laughs> like we, we're, we're like, well, but I'm a Christian. Well, Paul says we, he is a Jew who is one inwardly. So what that actually means is that we are Jewish through our faith. We're not ethnically Jewish, but Jewish in terms of we are God's people through our belief in Christ. And Jesus is the fulfillment of all the law and the prophets. So everything that they celebrated in the Jewish festivals in the festivals in the Bible, Jesus didn't come to do away with those principles. He became the fulfillment of them himself. Can I get an amen from someone here today? I know this may not be exactly why you thought you came to church today, but I promise you, if you're going to understand a little bit about faith, you want to know what I'm saying about Jesus being the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He didn't come to trash it, to do away with it. He came to demonstrate it through his own life. So as we're looking at some of these Old Testament festivals, the three of them were really, really significant in that they required every male who was a Jew to come back to Jerusalem once a, once a year for this particular feast. Those feasts, you probably have heard of them. One is Passover. Uh, one is Pentecost, uh, which actually was Passover was signifying, you know, the angel passing over Israel when they put the blood, the blood on the doorpost. Uh, Pentecost represented the giving of the law. Uh, to Moses. And then finally, the Feast of Tabernacles. And this is probably the one that you've heard about the least, but this is the one I'm going to focus a little bit on today when we're talking about faith. And, and, and I promise this is going to, you're going to figure out why we're here. But the Feast of Tabernacles, tabernacles, the word that is used for tabernacles there is, is kind of like tent. So it's basically a tent that you build that's got a, a semi-open roof on it. It's not covered with canvas or anything. It has to be covered with uh, branches of some sort so that it's open to the air. And the reason why Israel celebrated this Feast of Tabernacles every year is to remember we were a people that did not have a nation. We were a people that did not have a country. We did not have a home. We were simply marked by God. God promised us that someday he would lead us into a land that would be our own. But he covered us with his cloud by day, his fire by night, his protection. And every year when we have this feast of tabernacles, we're going to build these little tabernacles the way they did in the wilderness so we can remember what it's like to be without a home. It was a way to honor what God, first of all, look at someone next to you say, you should be celebrating what God did yesterday. Does anyone agree with that today? I think sometimes we forget the good things God has done. We forget, we get worried and caught up in the moment. What I love about Jewish cultures is they're like, we're not going to forget. 
We're not going to forget that at one time we had no place to live. I don't know about you, but I grew up po. I wasn't even poor. I was po. You don't even get the O-R on the end of it. But I mean, when I was growing up, we didn't have no money to turn on the heat. And my parents lived in a trailer that we hauled around the country, didn't have a dollar to our name. Well, my parents would do revivals for the week. Sometimes the, we didn't have any other money than what was coming in there. Sometimes the pastor would come up to the church and say, let's take a little offering so these kids can go get them a hamburger on the way home. And that was literally the way my parents lived for years. And that's fine. I get it. But every time I have something now some, and I buy something or I get something that is, I'm blessed with, you know what? I do I praise the Lord I say thank you God for this hamburger thank you God for this car thank you God for this shirt thank you God for why because I'm not going to forget what my God has done and Israel said you know what we're going to do we're going to celebrate by living in a tent for seven days every year you say well hold on for a minute no that's what they did they said we're going to feel it we're going to remember so the feast of tabernacles was actually the the celebration and the feast of joy, where you were commanded to have joy. They said, this, this one, we're going to party. And that's why I brought up that celebration, because there was all kinds of really cool things that they did at the Feast of Tabernacles that was a really deep embedded part of Jewish culture. And I'm, I'll get into those in just a second. But John 1, 14, when it's very famous. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. We go down to verse 14. It says, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. He made his dwelling among us. That's the, the, the Greek word skinu, which means to live in a tabernacle. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. So this is really interesting here. Jesus, this story that I'm about to tell, the setting of it is the Feast of Tabernacles. I'm telling you what the Tabern Feast of Tabernacles is all about. It's remembering that God brought us out of this place where we had no home. Jesus not only tabernacled among us in a temporary dwelling place, but how many people are glad that he became our ultimate home himself? We now have a home in Christ. No matter who we are, no matter where we are, we have a home in Jesus. So he goes to great lengths here in, in John chapter one to, to say in the beginning was the word. Then he goes on and changes the tone in, in verse five or so. He says, in him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome him. It, it, he goes on, verse eight says, he himself was not the light, the John, he's referring to himself. He only came as a witness to the light, which was Jesus, the true light that gives light to everyone coming into the world. Look how many times he's saying light here. So he's saying that Jesus is the light. Somebody say that. Say, Jesus is the light. Say, the one who tabernacled. This is not a, anything that someone's going to be saying in the world today, but with this sentence, you'll be one of the only people to say this sentence. Say, the one who tabernacled was the light. Okay? So it's important for us to read this because John chapter 7 I'm actually talking out of John chapter nine. So if you see, I'm backing up here to show you the context of these chapters and to frame the whole thing. John chapter seven, it says not halfway through the festival. What festival? The Feast of Tabernacles. Did Jesus go to the temple courts and begin to teach? 
And the Jews were amazed and said, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? And Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Now, look, Jesus went around doing miracles, healing people, doing a lot of wonderful things. But all the attention began to go towards him. And that is the moment that Jesus began to refer to himself as the son of God. That's the moment that Jesus took all of the religious leaders and said, all this stuff that you do, all these symbols that everything has been pointing to, he started getting real clear right about here. It's all about me. Now, that's the moment where people are like, whoa, it's one thing to do a miracle. It's another thing to say you're the one that the whole thing's written about. So he started developing some pretty huge enemies. And as a matter of fact, multiple times through John chapter 7, 8, and 9, he says, you guys want to kill me. I can tell, I know, you want me dead because of who I am saying that I am. Now, I'm trying to paint this picture because there are some very important things here. Right after Jesus says all this, he's saying it in the context of something that's called the water pouring ceremony. This is a part of the Feast of Tabernacles where the priests would go and get basins of water and they would, in, in a processional, and everyone would follow. It was a part of the worship. They would take those basins of water and pour them in the bowls by the altar. During the Feast of Tabernacle, the place where the sacrifices took place that took away and, and covered up the sins of the people at that feast. So it says... Jesus says here, after this has taken place, in this context, after people are fully aware that this water has been poured out, Jesus in John chapter 7, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. So what have they done? They've just done one of the most important things in the Feast of Tabernacles. They poured out the water. Ooh, the water is holy. The water represents represents salvation and cleansing. And then Jesus says, oh, you think that's water? Let anyone who is thirsty come to me. And it says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up until that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So you have the water pouring ceremony that is a part of the Feast of Tabernacles. You also have something really cool, which is one of the reasons I brought up the fireworks and that those beautiful moments. You have this gorgeous thing called the illumination of the temple. And every night for those eight nights of the Feast of Tabernacles, there were oil fed gigantic candelabras that were lit that were lit in the court. They called it the court of women. And these lamps were. 75 feet high, and they reminded people of the pillar of fire that God used to guide the Israelites through the wilderness at night. So during this Feast of Tabernacles, which is all about us, you know, making these little tents and living in these tents and remembering the protection of the cloud by day, the fire by night. Now there's this other imagery that takes place at night of this fire and this light. So in this context, right after he's just said that he's the living water, in in chapter 8, he sees the woman caught caught in adultery talking to some Pharisees. This is at the end of the the celebration here. And it's after he says all these wise things and just owns the Pharisees with let he who is without sin cast the first stone. It says in verse 12, he says, 
I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Can you imagine if if Jesus went to Epcot during the Tapestry of Nations and he said, I am the laser of the world. He points out to the middle of the of the you just saw it. And he goes, you think that's bright? I am the true laser. That might be a modern thing that he could say if he was around. Don't quote me on that. But that's the concept is Jesus is taking something that they're looking at, that they're seeing, that is a part of their culture. And he's saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And the Pharisees challenged him here. You you're appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Then he just makes him go absolutely nuts at the end of chapter eight. When they start questioning, they say, well, you know, we're the sons of Abraham. And he says, before Abraham was, I am. Then it's, I think this is ironic, too, because it says they picked up stones to stone him. Isn't it funny that John chapter eight starts with Pharisees trying to stone someone? Jesus quells that and that it ends with them wanting to stone the guy who saved the one person from being stoned. So isn't it funny that the devil just wants to kill somebody? It just wants to stone somebody. So this whole thing of Jesus saying, it's all about me. Now, we actually get to the chapter that I'm teaching. All that was a setup for this so that everyone feel like you're on board here. You're following along. Okay, this is good. So, so this is all big revelation stuff. But what I love about Jesus is now he's going to take everything he just said and he's going to make it personal. Aren't you glad that Jesus cares about you personally? I'm grateful that I have a God that called me by name. I'm grateful that I have a God that adopted me into his family. He calls me a son. It says, as he went along, same time period, right at the end of this feast, it says, he saw a man blind from birth and his disciples, disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Can I give you a piece of wisdom real quick? Don't always answer a question real quickly. Sometimes you're answering a question that, is a, that has a false assumption. The assumption that these guys made about sin and about who deserves what is incorrect. So you can't answer a question that has a false assumption. So Jesus, in his wisdom, didn't choose A or B that they gave him. They said, who sinned, this man or his parents that he was born blind? He says, neither. This man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So basically what Jesus is saying is it has nothing to do with who sinned or who didn't sin. We're living in a sinful fallen world. But what Jesus is teaching us is that no matter what we go through, no matter what challenges we face, no matter what difficulty we're going through, God will find a way to cause his glory to be made known through that particular thing. So he's saying, don't you worry about where it came from. That's not something you need to worry about. He says, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me because night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. John said this in chapter one. Jesus declared this same thing in chapter nine. Now he's saying it again. He's saying, I am the light. You can't see without what? Come on. You can't see without what? You can't see without light. So he is talking about something very profound and very deep still, himself being the light of the world. It says, and after he said this, he spit on the ground. 
made some mud with his saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, wash in the pool of Siloam. That's a a word that means sent, Siloam. So it's interesting that the one that God sent now sends this man to a place called sent (laughs) to wash. It says, and the man went and washed and came home seeing. He has just used a significant piece of imagery with light from the feast. Now go wash in the pool of Siloam. Remember when I was telling you about the the water pouring ceremony where the priests come in at the Feast of Tabernacles and they pour everything out on the altar. Remember that? That is such an integral part of the Feast of Tabernacles. Guess where they get the water from? Come on, somebody guess. Salon. That's exactly where. So Jesus is taking all this stuff from the feast. It's not just, he didn't say go home, get you some water. He didn't say, you know, go, go get some Dasani and bring it back real quick and pour it on your eyes. No, he said, go to the pool of Siloam, the place that everybody's been talking about lately. You go there. What is he doing again? He's saying, I'm the living water. He said, I'm the light and I'm the living water. Your answers are in me. Your answers are not going to be found in a podcast. It's going to be found in Jesus. Your answers are only in Jesus and Jesus alone. So his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him Begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, nah, it just looks like him. And, and that a, that's, that's a cheap way out, isn't it? It's like you got, you got Tim that sits there begging all day. He's blind. Everybody knows that Tim has been blind since birth. He's been, we've known him for 40 years, whatever. And, and they've just known him forever. And, and, and all of a sudden, you know, one day he comes, see, he comes seeing. He meets a man named Jesus and he gets healed and he can see. It's an obvious miracle. The guy can't see anything. It's an obvious, incredible miracle. And then because they have such little faith, they see Tim walking around seeing. And someone says, is that Tim? They go, no, it just looks like Tim. That's a, this is a weak answer, right? I mean, talk about, talk about coming up with any excuse other than glorifying God. We'll, we'll say anything. If our hearts are against God, we'll say anything not to give him praise. He says, no, it just looks like him. But I like what he said. He said, no, I am the man. What does it say right there? He says, I am. The, somebody say, I am the man. Men, we've been wanting to say that for years and have a biblical reason to justify it. Now we can do it. I am the man. Next time you say that, just say, hey, baby, I'm just quoting the Bible. She got to give you a free pass on that one. He said, I am the man. And then I like this. this. This is what you get with scoffers and people that do not want to believe in God. They don't care about the great things God has done. They've already made up their mind. They're against God. They don't, the evidence doesn't matter. Nothing matters. They're, that's why debates fall flat most of the time because people have made up their mind in advance. They're not even in the debate to get an answer. The people debated with Jesus who gave the most perfect, wonderful answers you can give. It didn't convert most of them. Other than Nicodemus and just a couple of people, those debates didn't change anything. You might venture to say that Nicodemus would have been changed anyways. He was listening to Jesus debate other people. He wasn't actively involved. He was asking true questions to Christ. There is a spirit that is an anti-Christ spirit that will not receive anything that Jesus has done or God has done. So it says, how were your eyes open? He said, the man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. 
I, first of all, this dude is a baller. Every answer he gives should be framed in the Hall of Fame. It is so sick. He's the most chill, amazing person. If you really analyze all his answers, it's like a script or something. He's like the coolest guy on the planet. He goes, yeah, he told me to go to the slow-mo wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. They say, where is this man? I like this next answer. I don't know. <laughs> Pretty straightforward guy, right? I don't know. And it says, they brought to the Pharisees the man which had been blind. So they take this guy, parading him all around. Now on the day which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes, it was a Sabbath. So by the way, any of you that are wondering why Jesus did certain things on the Sabbath that other people deemed inappropriate on the Sabbath, if you've ever thought to yourself, well, was he committing some, some error against the law of preventing you from doing something on the Sabbath? The Sabbath was a day of rest, but it had been made by religious people into something that God did not intend it to be. So when Jesus was doing wonderful things like healing someone on the Sabbath, or honoring God in some way on the Sabbath, the religious people were saying, hey, you're not supposed to do anything on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to save somebody's life on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to help people on the Sabbath. It's like you, you create all these rules and you make God something he's not. So Jesus was, wasn't guilty of anything. It just so happened that the day this man's eyes were open was the Sabbath. It said, so the Pharisees asked him how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. The others said, how can a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they turned again to the blind man. What do you have to say about it? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, G, if you lived your whole life, you ain't never been able to see nothing. Somebody put some mud on your eyes and says, hey, here you go. And you open up your eyes. Somebody asks you about the dude. You go say, he's a prophet. Hey, can I tell you something? You can testify about the goodness of Jesus today. If God has been good to you, you can say out loud, he's a prophet. If somebody asks you about Jesus, what do you think about Jesus? You say, well, I don't know all the theological answers. You don't have to know any theology to be able to say, Jesus is good. He saved my life. He pulled me out of the pit. He put my feet on solid ground. You can testify of the goodness of God. Come on, I don't know how you're feeling online, but it's getting kind of lit up in this thing today. They still did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Can you talk about this level of unbelief? They're questioning who the man is. There's no way he was blind. Get his parents. And they bring him. Is this your son? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that we can now see? Rawness must just run in their family. Because listen to this answer right here. We know he is our son. And we know that he was born blind, but how he can see or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He can speak for himself. <laughs> who are these people? Where did this family come from? I love this family. I want to take lessons from the way they answer questions. It's so gee, it's crazy. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That's why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. This poor Tim is just having a rough time here. After I mean, he can see, everyone's beating him up. It says, give glory to God by telling the truth. We know this man is a sinner. Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know. 
Say it with me. I was blind, but now I see. Come on. He said, I don't know theology. I don't know theology. I don't have all the answers. I get confused about some things sometimes. I got a feeling he's a good man. I got a feeling that there's something very right about him. I can't answer all of your questions that you're at, but I know this. He did something for me that nobody else could do. I was blind, but now I see. And what I love about this honest answer is he's saying, I don't know yet about the Messiah part. I don't know. He's being honest enough to say, I don't know about that part. He didn't tell me about that part. All he did is he touched me. Come on. If Jesus has touched you, somebody say he touched me. He touched me. He touched me. I didn't have the ability to have faith before he touched me. I didn't sit around trying to cultivate this thing called faith. Say, how do I figure it out? How do I do it? How do I conjure it? How do I make it up? No, no. He came to me in my blindness. My blindness. All I knew is I'd never seen anything in faith. I had never seen one thing in my life in faith until Christ Jesus found me. And he touched me and he gave me the ability to see in a way that I never could have seen before. And by the way, this is a miracle that needs to be celebrated more because the Bible says this man was blind from birth. Somebody that is blind from birth loses the ability scientifically to form the proper, the neurons lose the ability to form the ability to see. After about three or four years, there is no way. So it means not only do they lose the ability to see forever because they're not formed at the right time. But I don't even hear anyone talking about this. When we see people who were able to see at a young age that received their sight later on in life, it is massively confusing. They have no idea what light is. They have no idea what shapes are, what objects are. They can't correlate Things the Bible doesn't say this about this man. It said he was blind from birth and the moment he can see he not only sees but he understands what he's seeing. So God gives him. I mean the miracle itself is unbelievable. It's incredible worth digging into worth celebrating. But it's also a powerful analogy of something so much bigger. I love this. It said what do he do to you? How do you open your eyes? They just won't be quiet. He says, oh, now he gets now he gets real Godfather on him right here. He goes, look, I told you already. I told you already, but you didn't listen. What do you, do you want to hear it again? Do you, do you want to become his disciples, too? That they hurled insults at him and said, you are his disciple. We're disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And now he gets sarcastic. He goes, well, that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. I thought you knew everything about everything. Wow, you don't even know who this guy is. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So I like how he's piecing the story together. He said, I don't know about Messiah. I don't know about any of that stuff. But I know this right here. This man is from God. And to this, they replied, listen how hateful they are. 
They say, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? So they went back to the questions that the disciples were asking, that religious, disgusting question, because he was blind. They're accusing him that he was sinful at birth. He did something wrong. They missed out on the beauty and the revelation of what Jesus said is, I'll take anything that someone is dealing with, and I'll use it as a tool for my glory. Doesn't mean I caused it. Doesn't mean I put it there. That's a result of sin. But I'll take any of it and use it for my glory. Would you believe that this is really the crux of the message as I'm closing? I set, I set all of that up to really get to this part because I love this part so much. It says, Jesus heard that when they had thrown him, that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, somebody say, when he found me. When he, say, when he found me. Aren't you glad that Jesus came to find you? Jesus said in Luke 19 and 10, the son of man has, has come to seek and save that which are lost. So he's on a mission to find us. And he does this great miracle for this guy. And this guy gets mistreated and he goes and finds the guy. And he says, do you believe in the son of man? Which is one of the phrases for the Messiah. And the man says, who is he, sir? He's asking the man that healed him. He's like, who is he? Like, you've done one powerful thing for me. It's just changed my life. You've given me spiritual insight. I'm listening. Teach me. I want to know who this is that you're talking about because my heart is ready. My life has been changed. See, when God gives us faith and he does something for us, it opens up our heart and we're ready to believe whatever God says. Now he's waiting on the answer. He says, tell me who he is so that I may believe in him. And Jesus says, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And the Lord said, and the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Now I got news for you. I think when Jesus said, you have seen him, he wasn't just saying you have seen him with your eyes. He was saying, now you see me for who I am. I am the living water. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And for the first time, this man was able to see. And Jesus said, for judgment, I have come into the world so that the blind will see. And those who see will become blind. That is very important to know in our world because we live in a world where everyone claims to have the answer to everything. I was talking about podcasts a minute ago. People let podcasts pastor them more than their pastor pastor them. It's a problem. I think it's why you find so many divided people who have an a la carte mentality when it comes to their faith. I'll listen to what this person says about this subject. I'll listen to what this person says about this. And, and instead of having communities that reflect the gospel in a unified way, you've got communities that are divided. And see, even in the Christian world of people that call themselves Christians, if you claim to see, you've got problems. Because he says, the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him and heard him say this said, what are we blind to? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. 
But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. So what Jesus is saying is that spiritual blindness is the worst kind of blindness. This man was able to understand seeing Jesus in his spirit in faith because Jesus illustrated what it was like to be able to see in the natural first. And he used that as an example for the man to see him through the lens of faith. See, what Jesus is calling us to do is to go back. Have you ever noticed that Jesus constantly corrected us? He said, you gotta be born again. What does that mean? You gotta be a baby. Look at someone next to you and say, be a baby. <laughs> Don't say that shouldn't be hard for you or something like that. That's just, that's not really very kind. Jesus said to his disciples, he said, unless you become like these little ones, you won't even enter the kingdom of heaven. So he said, be like a baby. He said, be like a kid. Here he's saying, be, be blind. He's saying, what you need is to admit that you are blind on your own. It's only when you admit that you were blind in your own knowledge that you can ever see in the spirit. It takes admitting I know nothing outside of what the Holy Spirit has taught me. That's why we can build our lives only on the Word of God. If we build our lives on our opinion or something we heard someone say, it will crumble and fall. But the Word of God will never perish. Not one jot or tittle. None of it will pass away. In Revelation 3, 17, Jesus says, you say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and don't need a thing, but do you not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked? I counsel you to buy gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Salve heals you. It's a healing property that's contained. What he's saying is that when you think you've got it all figured out, you don't have faith. Faith is not seeing and figuring out what you're seeing. It's not seeing and the Holy Spirit allowing you to see through the eyes of the Spirit. We need to go back to that moment where we admit that we don't know anything unless we know it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Faith actually begins with blindness. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. So be it unto you according to your faith. What has your faith become? Because the only way we can have real faith in Christ to begin with is when the Holy Spirit lays his hands on us, when Jesus lays his hands on us and causes us to be able to see in the Spirit. That's why born again is a powerful idea. We are spiritually dead until the Holy Spirit causes us to be alive. It's like complete blindness, being able to see. Completely dead, unable. You can't resurrect yourself if you're dead. Only Christ can do that. So what do we have to do today? If we're gonna receive what we could receive out of this series, then we have to come back to the root of what faith actually is. Faith is admitting that we're blind. Faith is knowing that we can't figure it out on our own. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to illuminate to us what truth looks like. It means being willing to lay our opinions down at the altar.
anyone here today? Lay our opinions on different subject matters, all that thing at the altar and say, Lord, show me, help me to see with eyes of faith, whatever you got to correct, whatever you got to take out of my life, I'm willing to lay it down because I believe that you are the light of the world. I believe that you are the living water. I want to do it your way. I come to you helpless. I'm feeling my way around in the dark. I don't know where I am. And it's in that moment that you will illuminate truth. See, if you have just thought that Jesus is a philosophy or that Jesus teachings or even what he offers through salvation is just a philosophy that you plug in your way of doing things, you've missed the gospel. Because Jesus said, I am the way the truth and the life he is the way so it's only when we're willing to lay those things down that we can ever have faith to begin with so that's that's an invitation for you today to step into a life not of being able to see oh i see where it is it's actually to step back into some darkness in that admitting in your brain you don't know what you're doing it's saying jesus be the light anything i see let it be because you've illuminated it. I take my opinions and I throw them by the wayside. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a what? A light unto my path. That's why Jesus, in John chapter one, Jesus said in the beginning was the word. Then he starts calling the word and Jesus the light. What it's saying is that this word, Jesus is his word. The word illuminates the truth in our life. It's not our ideas or our opinions. We gotta get back to the place. In our life where we admit I can't do it by myself Jesus I need your help who wants to see in faith today anyone here amen I know I do could you bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment I want to pray for you those that are watching online as well father I just take this moment in according to your faith this series and I pray that the light of the world that the living water that the bread of life person, Jesus, would reveal himself to people that are lost in darkness. By the power of the Holy Spirit and in Jesus' name, if you're here today or watching online and you need Jesus to be your light, you need Jesus to give you sight to be able to see in the Spirit. If that's you today, all over the room or watching online, could you just lift your hand? Amen. Hands going up all over this room every single section. God sees your hands. I believe people are lifting your hand online too. Please let our team know through the chat that you're lifting your hand and you need Jesus. Just type that in the chat. Could you pray this prayer with me out loud? Say, I ask you, Lord, to give me sight. To give me sight. Help me see you for who you really are. Jesus, I want to know you. I want to serve you. I don't want to be the kind of person who has everything figured out. That's what the Pharisees were. I want to be like this humble man who was found by your love, transformed by your love. Help me to believe and have faith the way you want me to. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Come on. Could we give God a great praise here today? He is worthy. Amen. This concludes the teaching. 
If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.